Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to gather with you this morning. Just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to moms that are out there this morning. And if you're visiting, maybe a, a mom in town visiting one of your kiddos, we're grateful that God brought you to gather this morning. We're going to spend some time praying uh, as it relates to Mother's Day at the end of the service. But just wanted to say now, happy Mother's Day. Grateful to be able to celebrate that uh, with you this morning. Uh, if you are new here, we'd love to meet you. We're actually going to have a Connect meeting right after the service today. Uh, and so if you're new or you've been coming to Sojourn for a few weeks and want to learn more about what it looks like to get plugged in and connected here in the life of this church, just want to invite you out to that meeting right after the service uh, so we can share a bit more about the church and get to know you and help you get plugged in this morning. Hey, how about this new pulpit? Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so Brandon Cecil built this for us. So if you know Brandon, you can say thanks. He's not here this morning, so he doesn't hear your clapping, but um, you can, uh, if you see him, you can th- tell him thanks when he's back in town. He's traveling for work right now. Uh, but we're going to be preaching out of the book of Hebrews as we're in this series in the book of Hebrews. So if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand and a couple of guys will bring a Bible around to you, we'd love for you to be able to read along with us. And if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have access to God's word all throughout the week uh, and be able to read it. Uh, during the week as well. To begin our time this morning, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we jump into his word. Would you pray with me? Good Father, we come before you this morning, and we pray that you would calm and quiet us this morning, that you would help us to focus. Loving Father, we pray that we would receive your word this morning, that we would see it as a gift from you to us, that you care deeply for each of us, that you know the details of our lives, and that you desire for us to faithfully follow you, to know you, as we have been known by you. And so we pray that as we open your word this morning to the book of Hebrews, to a somewhat challenging text, a convicting text, I pray that we would have ears to hear this morning, that we'd have eyes to see this gift of your word. And Father, I pray that you would captivate us by your grace and your glory this morning, and that you would change our lives because we sit under the preaching of your word as your people this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move in power today? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Last week, uh, I was down in Orlando with a few other sojourners down there at a uh, kind of a church partnership forum with Pioneers International, a, a global missionary organization that seeks to send missionaries all over the world and plant churches all over the world. And we were down there just to learn more about what it looks like for our church to have a, a global vision, a, a global vision to reach the nations with the gospel, and what it looks like for us to be faithful in sending people to the ends of the earth and caring for those missionaries as they go. This little conference forum thing was real short. It was only Tuesday through Thursday, but we were staying off-site from where the actual meetings were taking place, and so we rented a car. And we rented a car, drive it from the airport and to and from the hotel. And so on Thursday, after we ate lunch with some new friends, we hopped in the car and went back to the airport to return the car and catch our flight. If you've ever rented a car before, uh, what awaits you when you return your car to the car rental place? Spikes, Right? There's those spikes that you have to drive over before you return your car and drop your car off. 
And at the Orlando Airport thrifty car rental line, there wasn't just one row of spikes, there were three rows of spikes. And I don't know about you, but every time I get up to those, I know they're angled just right so that when you drive over them, they're not going to pop your tires, but it still makes me a little bit nervous. Like, what if they're just a little bit off and I'm that guy who drives over them and it just blows all the tires, right? But somehow they're positioned just right so that you can drive over them. But what awaits you as you drive up to that? A big warning sign that says, do not back up, severe tire damage, right? And if you go over it, you're good. But if you back up a little bit, what's going to happen? Pop, right? All the tires in your car are going to blow and you're going to be on the hook for the damages. See what happens when a warning sign is given to us. A warning sign is there, not as a suggestion. It's not there to say, you know, if you want to pay attention to this, that'd be good. Just kind of do as you please. It's not there as a suggestion. It's there to protect you. It's there to guide you, to direct you to some direction, usually away from danger, sometimes even the loss of your life. Well, as we come to our text today in the book of Hebrews, we come to a warning sign. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, there are five major warnings throughout this book that we're going to walk through. Five major warnings, and this is the first one. These warnings, as we'll see throughout our series in the book of Hebrews, are strongly worded warnings. But in their strongly worded description of what the author is telling us, they're they're not there to just beat us over their head. They're, They're born out of deep love and care for God's people. And in this case, the warning is simple. Pay attention lest you drift away from Jesus. Pay attention lest you drift away from Jesus. And so my hope this morning is that we will all listen and be attentive with our ears and our hearts and our minds this morning to this warning sign that we'll see it for what it is as a gift of grace from God. Because the reality is, All of us are prone to wander. My desire is that we'll be reminded that we do this together, that we're in this together to help one another to heed this good word from God. And my prayer is that those of us here this morning that are currently struggling, that are currently drifting or wandering or neglecting our great salvation, will have ears to hear and eyes to see. And this will be God's grace to you this morning. So with that, let's jump into God's Word, and may He bless the preaching of His Word this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to that. And we're just going to be looking at the first four verses in Hebrews chapter 2. This is what the author of Hebrews says to us this morning. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will." As I said in the introduction of this series two weeks ago, Hebrews is a fantastic book. 
It's full of such rich and deep truth about who God is and about Christ. And, and I hope that as we walk through this series over the next several months, that it will lead us to a place of just worship and awe and amazement about who God is and the fact that you and I can know the living God. But as we walk through this series, there's going to be a temptation for you and for me. There's going to be a temptation for me or whoever's preaching and a temptation for you as a digester of God's Word. And the temptation is this, that we walk through Hebrews theologically, but not personally. Now you may be thinking, I'm not a theologian. But the reality is, all of us are theologians. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, because all of us have thoughts and beliefs about God. And that's what theology is. So even if you're an atheist, you don't believe in the existence of God. That's a theological statement and belief. And so what that means is, is that for all of us, that Hebrews is for all of us. That all of us should pay attention to it. And my hope is that God will use it to mold and shape our theology as we spend time in Hebrews. That we'll have a right understanding of who God is. But the temptation remains that we will engage all of this truth that's in Hebrews and we'll think deeply about it. We'll even stand back in awe at the majesty of the rich treatise of truth that Hebrews is. But while doing that, not figure out what God is saying to us. What God's saying to you, what God's saying to me. In other words, that we will engage our heads and not our hearts. So far, we've seen a lot of theology about who Jesus is. We've seen a lot of theology about the overarching theme of the book of Hebrews. The subtitle for our sermon series is that Jesus is better. And next week, we're going to see even more rich truth about who Christ is and his humanity. But see, the author of Hebrews is not a a 30,000 foot view, stoic, sterile, ivory tower academic. The author of Hebrews has the heart of a shepherd. He cares deeply for God's people. He loves God's people deeply. And so he takes transcendent truth about a transcendent God and he makes it imminent and personal just like the God he's teaching about as he writes. And tucked right in between these these bookends of gloriousness that Hebrews 1 and 2 are, we find a very clear display of this short pastoral plea to pay attention. Pay attention. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just explain the text and then really address our hearts and lives so that all of us might pay much closer attention lest we drift away from Jesus. Verse 1, the author starts off with, Therefore, therefore, this is telling us that this is a continuing message, a building argument. And at this point, he's making direct, direct application for us. Therefore, means in light of what I've just said. And what has he said? He said that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels because he's inherited a name that is more excellent than theirs. He is the Son and the Sustainer and the Savior. Therefore, since Jesus is superior to the angels, so is his message greater than their message. If God has spoken fully and finally to us through His Son, as we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, then you and I must pay much closer attention to the message He proclaims and declares. That's what we see in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2. 
We must pay much closer attention because our very life depends on it. Our life depends on it. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. See, the author is concerned. He's concerned that the noise of this world and the the empty promises of religious rule following are going to knock these followers of Christ off track from pursuing Jesus and him alone. He's concerned that they're going to wander away from his life-giving good news of redemption and grace of restoration and rescue. Drift is a key word in this text. When you think about drifting, what comes to mind for you? When I was a kid, my family and I would uh, oftentimes go to the beach over the summer. And we would, most of the time when I was growing up, we went to Daytona Beach. And we would go with my mom's side of the family. And there's nine cousins on my mom's side of the family. And so we would all have a great time. We would take over the pool at this hotel. And I think everybody else just kind of ran away from us. But we would take over the pool at this hotel. And we would spend time on the beach. And we would just have a great time playing in the ocean. And we had always every year these canvas rafts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Canvas rafts, the little white strings around the edge. Maybe I'm dating myself. But we would blow up these rafts, and we would try and ride waves with these rafts, and we would get out in the ocean and try and stand up on these rafts. Inevitably, though, we would go in the water right in front of where our parents were sitting there on the beach watching us. But before long, they would be yelling at us, waving us back down the beach. Because as we were playing in the ocean, we had drifted down the beach a ways, because of the current and the movement of the waves, they'd pushed us, and we didn't even notice it. We were being forcefully moved, and we had no idea. See, drifting is subtle and slow, and often unnoticeable. Drifting happens because we're not paying close attention. But see, because Jesus is better, we need to pay attention to the better message that he proclaims. Now, what is this message that Jesus proclaims? It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus is Lord and life is found in him alone, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We need to pay attention to this message. Now, neglect is another key word in this text. When you neglect something, you set it aside. You let it atrophy, like your memory or your muscles. Maybe oftentimes you're just completely apathetic. In verse 2, the author says, Look, the message declared by the angels, and we learned over the last couple of weeks, that's the law of God. This, this law of God that was communicated by the angels was proved to be reliable. It told God's people how to live, but in the same way it told them what would happen, the consequences of their disobedience. If they wandered away from obedience to God, if they weren't paying attention to what God was calling them to, about what life looked like, lived before him in worship, there were consequences to their actions if they broke the law. And over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we see this come out. We see this come to fruition. When God's people disobey, when they walk away from him and rebel and walk in sin and selfishness, there were consequences either by the authority of the people that God had put in place or the very hand of God himself. And so the author is saying, look, if that's true, if that proved to be reliable, then how shall we escape judgment and condemnation from holy God if we neglect the very great and amazing and unfathomable salvation, 
If we neglect the rescue and redemption and grace upon grace, He lavishly and abundantly gives us in Jesus. How will we escape? This rhetorical question hangs in the air. But the answer is crystal clear. We won't escape. We can't escape. Why? Because the truth of Acts 4, verse 12 It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus, because his name is more excellent than the angels and his message exceedingly greater. It means that apart from him, there is no hope. See, the beauty of the gospel message, the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sin and ourselves. It's not some isolated message. It's not a fictional message. And Jesus brought it to us himself. He didn't remain distant from us. It wasn't something that happened in a cave somewhere. No, Jesus came and he lived among us and he declared this message. He announced it when he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He proclaimed it when he said that no one comes to the Father except through him. He predicted it when He said He would die and rise again. He declared it when He said on the cross, it is finished. And He comforted with it when He came and stood among His disciples and said to them, peace be with you. And because this message is living and active and real, it utterly and completely and extraordinarily changed His disciples' lives. Men and women who had been terrified and scared, who went into hiding and ran away from Jesus when he was arrested and crucified, become bold proclaimers of this message. Bold proclaimers of this message, going and sharing with people all over the place, even at the cost of their very own life. That's how the author of Hebrews even heard the good news. Someone else told him, Someone else came to him with this message of hope, and now he's sharing it with his audience, and he's sharing it with you and with me. That's what the gospel does. It's living and active, and so it grows and spreads. How will people know unless someone goes to them, unless someone tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And this message was affirmed through signs and wonders and miracles in the early church and even now. But do you know what the greatest miracle and act of God is? It's conversion. It's seeing dead men and women who are spiritually dead come to life. When we were in Orlando, we watched a short video about a family who had gone to a remote and hard-to-access people group in Indonesia. And they went there to share the good news of Jesus. But this people group didn't respond. In fact, it was a very hostile environment. They were thankful that this missionary family was there, a husband and a wife and their three kids. But, but they were hostile towards one another. In fact, they were headhunters and cannibals, and they were in a constant state of war between one another. And these missionaries, they just weren't sure that the gospel was ever going to take root amongst this people group that anyone was ever going to believe. And the fighting and and warring got so bad that the missionaries went to the people, the leaders of the people, and said, listen, if you don't stop fighting with one another, then we're going to have to leave. It just became to where it wasn't safe anymore and nothing was taking root. And 
in desperation, these people wanted these missionaries to stay there because they were caring for them and providing some medical care and some other things like that. And so they decided to bring up, to have peace with one another between these warring tribes. And in order to do that, as a part of an ancient tradition amongst these tribes, what they did is they actually took a baby, a boy, and they exchanged him. They literally gave over a baby boy from their tribe to this warring tribe, their enemies. And the other tribe did the same thing. And this child was called a peace child. And it was in that moment that these missionaries finally had a very clear opportunity to share the gospel with these people. He said, look, God, the God of all the universe, he has a son. And he sent him to his enemies to make peace with you. That you might be reconciled to the living God. And the gospel took root amongst these people. And conversion happened. They placed their faith in Christ. And that happened some 50 years ago. And today, this people group are still following Jesus. And they're sharing Jesus across cultural barriers to neighboring people. Church, that's what the gospel does. It moves people from death to life. And those who were once enemies are now friends with one another. But listen, if we stop to actually think about that, it doesn't make any sense. That, that people that are spiritually dead, that people that are enemies of God, who have no desire to know God, who have no desire to be known by Him, people who want to go their own way, to live life the way that they want to, who want to build their own kingdom, suddenly repent, suddenly turn away from their sin and turn to God in faith, believing that Jesus died for them and rose again to save them and make them new. See, this is the ongoing miracle of the church. That any of us are sitting here this morning and know Christ is amazing. That any of us are here this morning following Christ is amazing. That any of us are here this morning proclaiming and being transformed by the same gospel message that has been spread and shared by God's people for some 2,000 years all over the world. That's amazing. This is the great salvation and the message of Christ that the author of Hebrews is pleading. He's pleading with his audience. He's pleading with you. He's calling us to pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. See, it's a message that you cannot not respond to. God has brought each of us here this morning. He's brought us here this morning, and like the tribe in Indonesia, a message has been proclaimed. And so if you sit here today and you are not a follower of Christ, or you sit here today and you are holding Jesus kind of at an arm's length, can today be the day for you where you place your faith in Him? Where you stop warring with God and being an enemy and running away from Him in rebellion and open up your arms and your hands and just understand your need for Christ, to place your faith in Him, in Jesus who lived a perfect life, a life that you can't live, and who died a sacrificial death in your place and rose again from the grave so that you could have life now and forever and be set free from all of your sin and all of your shame. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer understands his need for grace, and he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And the response is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. 
So come to him today, friend. Let today be the day of your salvation. There's no better time. Now, I know that the vast majority of us here this morning have already placed our faith in Christ. But there's still a call for us to respond in this as well. See, the author of Hebrews, he wants to see people come to know Jesus for the first time. But what he's concerned about is with those who have already claimed Christ and are drifting away from Jesus and neglecting this great salvation they've been given. And I think all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, there's temptation for us in our lives to drift and neglect. And the question for you and for me is, what are those temptations? See, we need to understand that drifting comes when we don't pay attention, but neglect comes when we don't care to pay attention. So let's think about how those play out in our lives. Recently, Edward and I uh, went down to Arlington for a lunch with some other pastors, and we were driving down together. He picked me up at the gym, and we jumped in his car, and we drove down to Arlington. And on the way back, we were just talking with one another, and we knew that we needed to go back to the gym to drop me off to get my car. And both of us have lived in Fairfax in Northern Virginia for a really long time. But we're talking, and we're cruising down the road, and we miss the exit we're supposed to get off. And then we miss the next exit that we're supposed to get off. And then we get to an exit, and we're finally like, okay, we got to get off at this exit, but we go the wrong way on the exit. So we took a nice little tour of West Fairfax one Thursday afternoon. But it wasn't intentional, right? We weren't thinking, how can we intentionally not get back to where we need to go? And we were even doing a good thing. We were talking with one another. We were having good conversation with each other, but we weren't paying attention. And we wound up in the wrong place. See, the same thing can happen with your relationship with Jesus. You might even be doing good things, but you stopped paying attention, and you start subtly drifting, and you end up in the wrong place, far away from the God you may be even seeking to serve, far away from the one who loves you and saved you. See, I think one of the biggest things that can lead to drifting is familiarity with truth. Familiarity with truth. I've sat with so many people over the years who are struggling with sin and just seem to be stuck. And a common thing that's said is, I know the right answer, but I'm just having a hard time believing it right now. I know the right answers, I'm just not sure. Maybe that's you today. You know the right answers. You can say foundationally that you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he came to do what he said he came to do. You believe foundationally that Jesus is better, but the familiarity of the greatness and goodness of God shown to you in Christ has just become too familiar to you. Has the best news in the world become old news for you? I was struck by this in my my own life when we were down in Orlando. Right before we watched this video that I mentioned, we were talking about global mission. We were talking about reaching the nations with the gospel. And I just wasn't feeling it. Something that I should be super excited about and just amped up on. I I just wasn't feeling it. So I prayed, Lord, give me a sense of awe of who you are. That I would really be moved and care about your global glory. And in that video, the sons of the missionary that 
saw this tribe come to Jesus, they actually went back to this people to visit them. 50 years later, just to check in and see how they were doing. Then there's a scene in the film where a local man named Moses is speaking to one of the missionary's sons named Steve. And Moses says, to the, says this to Steve in his own language. He says, When your parents came years ago, we were still living in darkness. But God's word has been planted here. The gospel has been received. This place is full of peace. It's a safe place to live, and we are very blessed. And he goes on to say, I want to give thanks to God because the gospel came here. And I want you to know that when you leave on the airplane tomorrow, we are going to stay faithful to the gospel as long as we live because it is everything to us. And I sat there with tears in my eyes and I thought, the gospel is real. It actually changes people. It really works. It does bring people out of darkness into light. It really does bring about life. And I'm surprised by it. I sat there watching these people that should not know the living God praising and worshiping Him. And I sit there and scratch my head going, really? God, you really save people. See, I know that foundationally. I can preach on it. I can write a paper on it. I can read books about it. But the reality is, do I functionally believe it to be true? Do I functionally believe it to be true in the middle of the week when my kids are sick or I'm tired or the driver in front of me is just going too slow today? Do I believe it when the budget is tight? Do I believe it when I see more bad news popping up all around the world? Do I believe it when I look out over this city and over the people around me and think, God, can you really bring revival here? Can you really bring spiritual awakening? See, my familiarity, my familiarity with the superior and glorious message of Jesus can cause me to be captivated by less glorious things. And when this happens in my life, I can start to care way more about, way more about the approval of others. What do people think about me? I can care way more about things being perfect in my life and in our church instead of the earth-shattering, life-altering truth that I am approved by God and that because, not because I'm perfect, but because Jesus is perfect for me, I can be known by him. When it comes to neglect, it might not be an outright renunciation of Jesus, but it's a, an intentionally removing yourself or detaching yourself more and more from Jesus and his people to where he has no real effect in your life any longer. Maybe it looks like isolation from community. Maybe it looks like staying out late more and more Saturday nights to where it becomes more and more difficult for you to get up on a Sunday morning and come gather with God's people. Maybe it looks like filling up your time with work and play and not making time to pursue things that will stir your affections for Jesus. Maybe it looks like pursuing things that will make you happy over things that will make you holy. So this might not be so much about an outright rejection of Jesus, and I think that's where the warning is so palpable for us. 
My guess is that most of us in this room, we're not rejecting Jesus outright, but maybe we're forgetting Jesus or ignoring Jesus. So I think what happens to us is that we're on the solid ground of the shore. We're standing on Christ, our solid rock. But then we notice a boat just off the shore, and so we jump into the boat. But it's okay because we're still close to the shore, and we can jump out anytime we want. Right there, we can see it. We're really close. But then the boat starts to move away from the shore. We get a little bit further away from it. But it's okay because I can still see the people on the shore and I can hear what they're talking about. Sometimes I have to strain a little bit to listen, but I'm still pretty close and I can see them moving around. But then the boat moves a little bit further away from the shore. But it's okay. Because if I stand up and I, and I strain my eyes a bit and peer off into the distance, I can still see people moving around and I can still see the shore. I can't quite hear what they're saying, but I'm sure they're still talking about good things. And then the boat moves away a little bit further. But it's okay. But wait, what, what is it that I'm looking for again? What is it I'm supposed to be looking at and seeing and fixing my eyes on? Because now when I look all around me, all I see is open water and I'm all alone. See, this is the warning. Like a sign that says, do not back up severe tire damage. It's a warning to you. Do not drift away. Do not neglect such a great salvation. This warning isn't a heavy-handed rebuke. It is born out of love for you. And so in love, let me ask you this morning, where might there be some drift and neglect in your life right now? Maybe a good way to assess this is where are you making compromises? Where are you justifying your actions to yourself and to others? About what you would do with your time or your resources, what entertainment you're taking in. Where do you find yourself justifying those things? What gets the most time and attention in your life right now? What may be subtly pulling you away from Jesus? It might be a relationship. It could be your marriage. It could be your kids. It could be a friendship. It could be a dating relationship that's pulling you away subtly from Jesus. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's social media. Here's a good question for us to ask. Where is there a difference with what you say with your mouth and what you show with your life? Where is there a difference with what you say with your mouth and what you show with your life? See, the reality is, I think there are too many of us that are walking through the Christian life sleepily. So let me exhort you this morning, wake up. Wake up. And for some of you, I pray that God is doing that in your heart and your life right now, even as you sit here. That we believe in the power of the preaching of God's word, not because I have eloquent words to say, but because God uses the preaching of his word to transform your life. So I pray that's happening amongst you right now, but I also hope and pray that even as you go home this week, that you'll take time to consider and pray and process both alone and in community. And answer these questions and that God will reveal to you those places in your life right now where you are drifting and neglecting. 
Good news is he tells us what to do to recover from this drift and neglect. He says, he tells us, he exhorts us, pay much closer attention to what we've heard. It's as simple and as difficult as that. It's as simple and as difficult as responding in faith to the gospel once again. It's simple because many of us have already believed. We already know the truth of the gospel. We know the tenets of who Christ is and what he's done. But it's difficult because the siren call of this world and your flesh is loud and constant and pulls you away. We don't live in a vacuum. The main two disciplines of the Christian life are faith and repentance. And it's in these times in our life when we recognize drift and neglect that we need to put those into practice. And what happens is as we readjust our gaze off of whatever it is that's pulling us away, as we readjust our gaze and we look to Christ and we recognize where we've slipped and we've strayed away from Jesus, we mourn that. We should be broken over that. We mourn the remnants of a still rebellious spirit that seems to lurk and loom just below the surface for us. But as we seek to fix our eyes on Christ once again, then we remember two things, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and his mercies are new to you every single morning. It's like a breath of fresh air and grace that washes over you. God has not cast you off. No, he's drawing you back to himself. It's in those moments And he pulls you back to the shore to plant your feet firmly in Christ. And there that you find yourself standing on the promises of God who find their yes and amen in Jesus. Listen, it is easy. It is easy to wash your hands, but not your hearts from fear and anger and shame and malice and envy and jealousy and lust and idolatry. Only Jesus can do that for you. The good news this morning is that he has. So come to him and rest in him. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, it's easy for us to drift. The rebuke isn't in that, the fact that it's easy to drift. The warning isn't in that, it's just recognizing that. It's why we need constant feeding of our faith. It's why we need nourishment of our souls. It's why we need exhortations to believe the gospel again. To literally see our minds and our hearts renewed and transformed and made new. So pay much closer attention. Don't just get a drive-by snack on the gospel. Just a little bit that will tide you over. Don't allow yesterday's knowledge be your food for today. Don't allow familiarity to breed contempt for your Savior. Church, this can't be phoned in. It's not done via proxy. It's a call to sit and to soak and feast and worship at the feet of your Savior. Eugene Peterson is a uh, pastor and writer, and he says this, Every congregation is a congregation of sinners. As if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. So in case you didn't know, hi, I'm Justin, and I'm your pastor, and I'm a sinner, and I'm a drifter, and I'm a neglector. 
And a few things have come to my attention, even in my life, even just this past week on Friday morning even, that I still need to pray and process through. Things that are deep-rooted that cause me to drift from Jesus and the truth that I am, I am loved by the Father. So pray for me as I pray for you. And let's help each other, encourage one another together to pay much closer attention to the greatness of the grace and the glory of God on display in and through our risen King. Sojourn, adhering to the gospel word of Jesus is the one thing that is necessary in this life because it's a matter of life and death. So let's strive to be a caring community a caring community that loves Jesus so much and loves one another so much that we will not let one another slip and slide into oblivion. Pay attention and pursue Christ above all. To pursue Christ afresh again this morning, we're going to come forward and take communion together. And this is a beautiful gift of grace from God. It's a, it's a gift of grace to refresh us and to remind us every week that though our sin is great, our Savior is greater still. And so I want to invite you to come forward this morning to eat the bread and drink the cup. And as you eat the bread and drink the cup, to eat and drink deeply the grace of God in Christ. Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And he gives this meal to you to remind you of that glorious reality. Friend, are you drifting away? Repent today and come forward to the table to eat and drink. Are you neglecting your great salvation? Repent today and come forward to eat and drink. But then let's stand and sing together about our God and to our God and to one another that though we are prone to wander, We can cry out to God to heal us and seal us for our good and his glory. And if you're not a follower of Christ, let me just ask you to hang out in your seat, to not come forward to take communion, because we want you to take Jesus first. We want you to experience his grace first so that you can come forward. This can be a celebration for you. But if you don't yet know Christ, just hang out in your seat as people are moving around you. And I just want to encourage you. As I said earlier, make this the day of your salvation. Pray to God and ask him today to make you new. Throw yourself onto Jesus today, believing he is who he said he is, and he has done what he came to do, to rescue you. If you have questions about what it means to know Christ or follow Christ, please come and let me know. Any of our other leaders in the church, we love to pray with you and walk with you in that. That's what this church community is here for. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a small cup to drink, and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for your grace. We praise you, Father, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance and that your mercies are new every single morning. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would do work in our hearts. As my brothers and sisters sit here, as they go about their week, would you lead us to repentance? Would you help us to recognize the subtlety of drift, the subtlety of neglect, and that you would help us to pay much closer attention, to pay much closer attention to what you've done for us, for who Christ is, and to help us to believe that Jesus is better. Help us to pursue those things together.
and help us to be anchored in Christ and him alone. We praise you for your grace and your faithfulness to us. Bring us back to the shore. Plant our feet firmly on our rock, Christ our King. We pray all this in his name. Amen.